0: We'll hear argument next in number 001167, Tahoe-Sierra Preservation Council versus the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. Mr. Berger.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, there are three important things that should be kept in mind while we're addressing the issue this morning. First, the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency totally prohibited a select group of individual landowners scattered around Lake Tahoe from making any use whatever of their land. These prohibitions were never designed as the kind of planning timeout touted by TRPA and its amici. Rather, they were well, what
2: about a temporary order that says gee we're required by state law to develop a plan and it's going to take us a few months and pending that you can't develop now does that invoke immediately some um, per se taking rule
1: it does if it's a flat prohibition of use your honor and if there is a
2: prohibition that says while we're developing this plan, which we think won't take long, you can't go ahead with your development.
1: Justice O'Connor, I do believe that if it is a total prohibition on use, and there is no use being made of the property at the time, Mm -hmm. that it's part of the public project to have this freeze on use, and it's the public that ought to be paying for that project, not the individual landowners, who are frozen
3: out. Suppose that, and then we have to play with the facts a little bit. It's a hypothetical case. But that within a month from now, the World Trade Center is ready to be constructed. And New York says, and the owner wants to rebuild uh, high-rises for office only. And the city says, wait a minute, this is so important to the whole city, we need a, a year to think about it, a year in addition to the usual zoning process. of taking?
1: I think if they, t- if they forbid the entire use of the property and don't allow any – uh, applications for use to be made don't allow. Well, uh, the no, they owner can use it anything.
3: for any parking lot.
1: If there is some reasonable, economically viable, productive use that can be made of the property at the time, then I don't believe we have a per se taking.
3: Well, I, I guess my, my my question, and I know you had a more general introduction that we're interrupting, it is is the use of a moratorium a, a standard instrument of zoning policy, or is it very rare? I, I couldn't find anything in the briefs on this. It
1: has, I believe, become uh, much more rare these days. Uh, there's an awful lot more planning going on. Uh, and agencies are doing a better job of planning, uh, and they find the need for this kind of a total prohibition uh, on, on development uh, to be made. Why?
4: <laughs> My impression is that uh, that most of these uh, moratoriums or moratoria whatever they 're called would not uh, would not be total i mean if you 're considering uh, altering um, a a rural zoning scheme that uh, that that now doesn 't have any any limit on uh, on number of residences per acre and, and you 're thinking of uh, of saying no more than one house on every three acres, the only more – and that's what you're thinking about. The only moratorium you would have to impose would be no more – until we make up our mind, no more than one house on every three acres. It wouldn't – it wouldn't see nobody does anything while we're – while we're sucking our thumb on this question, right?
1: That's correct, Justice Scalia. And 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 I think that's the more typical kind of moratorium and the kind that most of the uh, uh, amici on the uh, agency's side have been talking about.
0: There was one Minnesota moratorium that was seemed somewhat like this that had been sustained by, I think, the Minnesota Appellate Court.
1: There was one, Your Honor, and I would submit that that court erred. Uh, it happens. Lower courts do that sometimes. Um, and we believe, <laughs> so that, we <laughs> we believe that, uh, that that simply is not an appropriate precedent for this court to follow. Oh,
2: why?
5: Why is it? I guess this is going to be your basic point. Why is it the case that let's take not this moratorium, but let's take a moratorium, lasts for a year, and after that time, everyone believes the Board will allow certain kinds of development. Other things being equal, that year of no use would probably have reduced the value of the land by 5, 10 percent. Now, so why, since that's the effect of the moratorium I'm imagining, should the public have to give compensation for that small diminution in value?
1: Because it's not the diminution in value that we're talking about here, Your Honor. It's the total elimination of the ability to make use of the property. And in all of this Court's cases, uh, you have talked about denial of economically productive use of land. And what we're doing here and what you're talking about in, in your hypothetical, Justice Breyer, is taking away the right to use that land. It's as if I took away your car for a year and I parked it in a garage and I kept good care of it and I returned it to you at the end of the year. With, with no diminution in value whatsoever, or perhaps the 5% that your honor hypothesized, you still would have been without the use of that car for a year. And I think that you'd be entitled to compensation for the fact that I deprived you of the use of that
0: well, car. Well, cer- certainly, year. if the respondent here had uh, simply said, We're going we're to need your property for three years, and so we're going to take a leasehold interest for three years, uh, the respondent would have had to compensate for that.
1: Uh, Chief Justice, I couldn't agree with that more. And I believe that that is, in fact, what we're dealing with here. No, but it seems to me you're
6: not dealing with that here, because in that hypothetical, the person, uh, the the, the third party, uh, in fact, takes the property in the sense of using it for that party's own benefit. Here, no one, uh, the, the Tahoe Regional Planning Authority, isn't using the property for its benefit. It's saying that
1: during this period of time, there are some things that you can't do. Well, that's true, Justice Souter, but, frankly, I don't see the difference between them, because the government — Well, one difference government- is that the person taking in the one hypothetical
6: gets a considerable personal value, i.e., the use of a car uh, or the use of property for a period of time. There's no such fact uh, in evidence
1: here. Absolutely true. But this Court's jurisprudence has always examined cases like this from the impact on the property owner, not from what the the government gains by the taking. Uh, Justice Holmes said that in the Boston Chamber of Commerce case a century ago. Isn't your
6: argument and wasn't your answer to Justice Breyer's question, in effect, to invoke the kind of standard language uh, which has come out of the Lucas case? Uh, In other words, uh, it is preventing all use of the property or all economically uh, productive use of the property. And yet, Lucas derived that phrase in a circumstance in which the denial of economic use was assumed to be permanent. Here, we're dealing with a situation, Justice Breyer's question dealt with a situation, uh, in which the deprivation is assumed to be temporary. So that it does make sense in his hypothetical to say, well, it reduces the value of the property during the interim period maybe by 10%. That is a very different economic fact from an indefinite, permanent deprivation, which would reduce the economic value of the property down to something close to zero. Uh, And and doesn't that distinction have to be recognized? And isn't that the reason why the Lucas formula simply cannot be used uncritically in in this circumstance?
1: Justice Souter, I believe that that distinction uh, gets recognized at the valuation phase, not at the liability phase. In other words, taking for a small period of time or for less than the full life of the property would be compensated less than taking of the full fee. Energy. Yes,
6: but what you're really saying is if the, I think, uh, that if in, in Justice Breyer's hypothetical there is a diminution in the value for this period of 10 percent, that you've got to compensate for the full 10 percent. Uh, and it seems to me that our cases. Are pretty clear in saying that's not how you measure uh, the compensation obligation. That's the that's the an example of taking you know the one stick out of the bundle and saying because you can't use that one, uh, you've got to compensate 100 percent for that one. And I think our cases rule that out, don't they?
1: Actually, uh, your cases in, in quite a number of different circumstances say that if you do take one important stick out of the bundle, uh, you may have well have taken the property entirely. Permanently, permanently. Well, except in first English, Your Honor, where this court expressly said and examined all the cases uh, that temporary takings are constitutionally no different than permanent takings? Well,
6: except that that gets to the argument that the other side makes throughout here, that the assumption of that statement was that we had a taking in the first place, whereas the issue in this case is
1: whether we do have a taking in the first place. Well, that's correct. And what we're talking about here is a deprivation of all use. That's why we have a, a pretty clean case for the Court It's to a, a
6: deprivation with. of all use if you fit it into Lucas. Lucas was a case that did not involve a permanent taking, so that it seems to me that the, your, your your first argument has got to be not that the Lucas formula uh, can apply here, but that the Lucas formula should apply here as opposed to the Penn Central formula. Uh, You've got to do
1: that in order to get into first thing. I, I agree with that completely, but I think that, that what we're dealing with, if, if you examine the facts of the case, is that from the time that these ordinances were enacted in 1981, until whatever endpoint you want to look at, there was a total deprivation of use.
2: Well, Mr. Berger, you may well have been able to prevail under the Penn Central approach, I assume, viewed in its entirety over this period of time. But that was waived. Am I correct in that?
1: We did not present a Penn Central case. All you want
2: is this pure and simple per se taking as applied to, as it comes to us, what is it, a three-year period?
1: Well, there there was this three-year period chopped out at the beginning of the, uh,
2: and that's what we're focused on here as the case actually comes to us.
1: That appears to be what the court is interested in, as the court reframed the question. Mm
2: -hmm.
7: May I ask you this question, Mr. Burger? Just looking at temporary takings, and just looking at the liability stage as opposed to the the valuation stage, is there a distinction in your view between a regulatory taking and a physical taking?
1: I don't believe so, Justice Stevens. I think that this Court did deal with that uh, in the first English case, and that it explained that physical takings and regulatory takings are judged by the same constitutional standards.
7: So that, in your view, of course, a physical taking even for 10 minutes would be a taking, and there's no doubt about that. But your view is even if the regulation prohibits all use of a piece of property, an automobile, whatever it may be, for 10 or 15 minutes, there is a taking. The, the damages may be infinitesimal, but there's always past the liability stage.
1: If there is a total prohibition of use, the there is there is liability. Mr. Now- Mr. Burgo, oh.
8: can, you, can you reconcile the different approach that this Court has said goes for spatial seg- separation, like the airspace in Penn Central, and time segregation? It seems to me that if the one, if Penn Central is the regime for splitting off the air rights, it should also be the regime for splitting off uh, a discrete period of time.
1: Your Honor, the, this Court and, and other Courts have always dealt with uh, the, the time value of property, uh, if I may, uh, differently than they have in, in these spatial terms. The fact is uh, leasehold interests, future interests have always been recognized as independent uh, items of property, that are independently protected by the Constitution, if you had uh, a piece of property that had uh, a landlord and a tenant uh, and a lender and some remainder person uh, with all, all interest and that was condemned, all of them would be entitled to compensation. But, but those are all physical takings cases. And this Court has said in First English that there is no difference constitutionally uh, justice stevens between the physical takings and the regulatory takings exactly. what do you
4: what do you do about the fact that there is a, a regulatory taking of, of sorts whenever you have a permit system let's say the normal zoning uh uh, uh regime in which you cannot construct any uh, any building on on your on your acreage without first applying and getting uh, getting the uh, approval of the uh, of the zoning agency during that period, there's been a total taking. You cannot do anything with that property until you get the building approved.
1: Clearly, you you cannot do anything until you've gotten the property approved. But it seems to me that there is a fundamental difference between a landowner working through a system um, whose uh, end product is, uh, at least theoretically and, and probably very likely, uh, the issuance of a permit to go ahead and develop something that is economically productive on that land, as opposed to but being stuck in a been system where you're going during
2: that interval of time, it meets your test. Nothing can be done until the permit issues. So, a uh, fortiori, under your theory, compensation due.
1: I don't believe so, Justice O'Connor, because. But that's
2: what it, it sounds like. Now, well, what about I'm, your basic zoning law? I'm going to, as a city, limit, uh, The use of this property to one house per acre. You can't have unlimited apartments or commercial property on it. Now, for the enactment of that, is there a taking immediately? No, Your Honor. Well, you're permanently deprived of the use of it for commercial purposes.
1: Yes, Your Honor, but you are not totally deprived of the use of it.
3: But can we get back to the basic question that Justice Scalia asked and and Justice O'Connor asked it as well? I want your answer. Why is it that a delay for purposes of ordinary zoning, which, let's assume, prohibits you from any use of the property, is not a taking?
1: Because you are there in a process working toward the actual development of the process of the property, pardon me, in contrast to being in a situation like these people are, where there is no process for development, there let's, is instead. Let's assume that it's
3: let's assume that the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency thought in good faith that there would be some development allowed, but they needed a year to think about it. Right. That, that's, that's the same as the, as the World Trade Center. That we know something very valuable is going to be given, given built, but you say it's a take, and I don't understand the difference between that and a regular zoning procedure.
1: The the difference is that in the uh, second situation, there is a conscious and total prohibition on use, and that's the purpose of the regulation, is to prohibit the use. In the former situation where you're applying for a permit, the purpose of the regulation is not to prohibit use, but in fact to enable use. Well, then it seems to me you
3: have to change your answer about the World Trade Center hypothetical. They said there's going to be a very valuable use. We just don't know what it is. But we need a year to think about it in addition to the normal zone. And you told me that that was a taking. But now your rationale seems to me to back away from that.
1: If they are in a process where, where there will be uh, development at the end, uh, then I believe that there is not an automatic per se taking. But it seems to me that what we're dealing with, if we've got a total use prohibition, we do have a taking. Mr. It's a Berger, it seems to me you're gone.
7: deciding whether the temporary taking is, whether the temporary interference is a taking or not depends on what's going to happen after the temporary period expires. Because in one situation you think, well, they know they're going to get something valuable out of it, and the other they don't. But that, that means that the test for the temporary period turns entirely on an evaluation of the future.
1: Well, if I made it sound that way, Justice Stevens, I I apologize. What I'm saying is that that you have two different uh, schemes set up. One is a process leading toward development. The other is a process of total blockage and where the intent of the government is simply to block the use of property We're not looking at the You're not
7: suggesting they're doing it just for the sole purpose of blocking the use. Don't they have some ultimate goal in sight here? Sometimes they may. Sometimes they don't. But you rest on the hypothesis that they are just interested in a total blockage for a temporary period of time, and they don't care what happens later. But that is the fact that
1: we're dealing with. We're dealing with— They
7: don't have any interest in protecting the lake?
1: We have no question about their ability to protect the lake. The question is how they do that. And what they've decided to do in order to protect the lake is to prohibit these people from making any use of their land.
6: But it and seems to me, in effect, maybe this is a variant on Justice Stevens's question, that you're saying what's really wrong here uh, is that this is not done in good faith, uh, that this is not done, let's say, in, in, the, in the case of the, the period of time necessary to get permits, uh, with, with an actual development in mind. This is called a moratorium, but they mean something more than just moratorium. They just mean stop, period. And, and it sounds to me as though you were making a turn
1: on whether it's good faith or bad faith. Well, I don't think it needs to. I think, in fact, in this case, um, when they put this moratorium uh, in the context not of they don't even call it a moratorium. They, they did this uh, as amendments to their Water Quality Act. What they said was these properties need to be kept frozen, in order to protect the clarity of Lake Tahoe.
0: And your argument, in effect, contrasts that with an existing permit system, whereby if you comply with certain requirements, you will ultimately end up with a permit, the purpose of which is to make sure you do comply with the requirements. Exactly, Chief Justice.
4: But you still have — I mean, in in the one case, the, uh, uh, the regulating agency has said you can't do anything with your land while we're thinking about the scheme we're going to adopt. And in the other case, the agency has said just as categorically, you can't do anything with your land while we consider your application. In both cases, for a a later regulatory purpose, they're both saying you can't do anything with your land.
1: Justice Scalia, in a sense, that is certainly true. But in the case of the – the processing of a permit application, we know that there is permitted use. It's there. It's in the books.
4: Not, not, not during the pendency, not, not while it, the application is pending.
1: The, the regulations of the agency say that for this property there is permitted use. The question is how you make that use and under what conditions and circumstances, not whether there will be use at all, where you have in the second situation A total prohibition on use, and we don't know what's going to happen at the end of that total prohibition on use. The the, the key to it may be this case itself, where the light at the end of the tunnel that they keep touting as the saving grace uh, of this kind of a uh, uh, regulatory regime uh, turned out to be no light at all. Uh, There was a complete continuation of the use prohibition when this temporary so-called period ended. Um, so well,
2: under your theory, it would seem that suppose that a building catches fire and is substantially destroyed by fire and the fire department comes and the police department and they block it off for a period of time. No use while this is investigated. None. Property owner can do nothing. Can't enter it. You're out of there. I guess the city or the governing jurisdiction would have to pay the property owner?
1: I don't think at that point, Your Honor, that but that it, would be it's a
2: squarely within your argument.
1: No, I think that in that case, Your Honor, you would uh, uh, at least be I- entitled to uh, uh, perhaps some nuisance examination. You've got a, a, a wrecked building uh, that, that is uh, a hazard. Uh, and at least the government would have the ability to order the, uh, the property cleaned up before anything else could be done with it. Uh, and I think in those circumstances— That seems to make
7: the question whether it's a taking turn on the, the nature of the motive of the uh, underlying the regulation or the prohibition. And I thought your position was regardless of the good faith and the great public interest in doing it, the state has to pay when it does this.
1: Your Honor, I think we all have to live with what this Court uh, called the nuisance exception— Uh, when it decided the Lucas case, and that there are uh, some things that the government can do that prohibit all use uh, that are not compensable.
5: Are you satisfied with a standard that says every government regulation is a candidate for a taking, just as every speech act is a First Amendment candidate, but it's actually a taking in this area only when the, the impact of the government regulation is not part of a reasonable process, looking towards a reasonable form of regulated development.
1: I think I could accept that. Just well, if right. that's
5: so, they're going to say they win because they're going to say, of course, this was an effort reasonably to regulate Lake Tahoe over a period of time. It's very complicated. Uh-huh. It didn't last. It lasted a long time, but I, no more than necessary. Well, I would I would disagree with that characterization. This was not an effort to regulate uh, Lake
1: Tahoe. This was a, an effort uh, to prevent the use of these properties. Uh, but seri- then, then certainly, that's a
3: reasonableness calculation, and that's the Penn Central aspect rather than the more categorical approach that you're urging upon us, I should think.
1: Your Honor, if, if they had come up with a, uh, a nuanced, subtle regulation that had something to it other than uh, the meat axe approach that the agency took in this case, <coughs> I think you would have a Penn Central type analysis. But what we've got in this case is not uh, anything uh, subtle at all. We 've got a complete easy quick prohibition and what's
2: the status today what is it twenty two years later
1: we're twenty two years later what's,
2: what's the status today of the properties affected by this suit? Uh,
1: the clients that I represent are still for the most part unable to do anything. Uh, there is in the, the new plan put in in one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven. Uh, which this Court looked at in the Sudham case. And uh, some of the people, those in the position of Mrs. Sudham in the stream environment zones, are still totally prohibited from using their land. Most of the people are still totally prohibited from using their land. Uh, A large number of them have sold their land to uh, uh, government agencies that were were buying them up uh, at bargain basement prices uh, at Uh, nothing approaching what uh, an appraiser would call fair market value, but the value of land that couldn't be developed uh, in order to mitigate their losses. And as the uh, Court approved in the Del Monte Dunes case, what they'd like to do is to make themselves whole.
2: Well, is it your position that uh, all of the properties involved in this petition are today still totally deprived of any Use, whatever.
1: I believe, Justice O'Connor, there may be a handful of them, that under the 1987 plan uh, and the regulations that came under that in 1989 uh, were finally released and allowed to do something. But it's only a small number, uh, and for the most part, these, these properties are still unused and unusable. But but even Is it, is it your
2: position that the application of the Penn Central approach would not result in Appropriate compensation determinations at the end of the day
1: i don 't know that your Honor I mean as a pragmatic matter, um, doing a, a penn central approach on uh, a case that involves hundreds and hundreds of individual properties uh, would have been a nightmarish litigation that only the wealthiest of landowners would be able to afford, uh, and particularly in light of the the clear uh, prohibition of use that they decided that they needed. Uh, We thought that it made more sense to do a Lucas-type approach than a Penn Central approach in this case. May I just
7: ask this one question? With regard to those who have subsequently been permitted to develop their land, it's your view that you are nevertheless entitled to a takings compensation for the period in which the
0: moratorium was in effect.
1: Yes, Justice Stevens, that's true. I'd like to reserve the rest of my time as Chief
9: Justice, if I may.
0: Very well, Mr. Berger. Mr. Roberts.
9: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Petitioner's only takings claim before the Court of Appeals and his only — their only takings claim before this Court is a facial per se claim. That means that their contention is that the mere enactment of the temporary moratorium in this case effected a taking with respect to every parcel to which it applied — that's the facial aspect — without any consideration of the reasons for the moratorium. That's the per se aspect. And what is more — that bold claim is limited at this point to the temporary moratorium, in effect, from August 81 until April 1984. Mr. Roberts, you, you
0: describe it as a bold claim. Supposing it had gone on for 10 years.
9: In, in Would it ten, be still bold? Uh, uh, on the facial aspect, I think so, Your Honor. I think you 're in the Penn Central analysis and not the Lucas analysis, so long as it 's not a permanent deprivation of use now, certainly, a ten year claim would have a much harder uh, uh, road to hoe being uh, against the takings challenge. But I would like to know the impact on the property 's value, why the uh, ten years was necessary if it was the sorts of things that are factored under Penn Central.
4: Well, you could do a penn central you could have done Penn Central in Lucas. I mean, Penn Central is wonderful. We could apply it to everything. But as, as uh, Mr. Berger pointed out, that's a terribly complicated analysis, enormously expensive for uh, property owners to, uh, to have to go through, and which is why you have cases like Lucas.
9: Well, this Court said that Lucas applied only in the rare circumstance of a uh, total ban on economically productive use. Suppose I take a three-year, I take a three-year leasehold.
4: All right, the government comes in and says we're taking this property for three years—not a permanent taking, just a, th- just a just a three-year taking. Yeah, the, that we, F- we, we do a Penn Central analysis. Well, oh,
9: no, if the government condemns a leasehold, that's a taking, and, and compensation All right, so is
3: suppose, suppose in this case that um, one of these lot owners leased the property to someone who was going to put a mobile home on it for a year. The moratorium comes in effect. Assume the mobile home can't be—is used. Is that a taking of the leasehold of, of of the of the of the lessee's?
9: No, interest. no. You don't sever up the well, property interest and to, so that it corresponds to the extent of the regulation. And even say, when
3: you're taking it from the lessee, that's all he's got?
9: Well, the, the, the right at issue here is the right to build residences, to develop the property. No, my that's,
3: hypothetical is that it applies to a mobile home, and the guy leases for the, the lot for a year, and, the, and Tarpa says you, you can't put the mobile home on there for a year. They take his entire leasehold.
9: Compensable? Uh, it, would, it would, first of all, be under the Penn Central analysis and the, the economic Why? Act,
0: it's a total take. General Motors certainly didn't do Penn Central.
9: No, but, but uh, the, the other, uh, the distinction is, is one of the one this Court talked about in Loretto between, you mentioned the World War II uh, condemnation cases. The, the Pee Wee Coal case, the government came in and occupied the coal mine to prevent a strike, that was a taking. In Central Eureka, they said, you cannot use your gold mine And this Court said that's different. That's not a taking. That's the type of distinction that we're talking about here between physical appropriation or, extended to Lucas, a ban on total uh, economic use, and the temporary regulation that's at issue here. Because the regulation is temporary, the land retains economic value.
3: I'm still not sure of your your answer. Your answer is that in my hypothetical about the the, the one-year lease that's taken from the lessee, it has to be a Penn Central
9: analysis because? Because you're, you're starting out with a property. Presumably, the regulation applies to the property generally. And it just so happens that this one parcel has been, been severed out into a leasehold. And in doing that, uh, that, that is a, a, a question that has to be addressed before you get to the ana- analysis. Should you sever out the affected property interest well, to a leasehold? But
0: you could have made that same argument in General Motors. I think the government did that you shouldn't just treat it as a leasehold, you've got to evaluate the whole property. The court says no There was a leasehold in effect. That's what the government took. That's what the government has to pay for.
9: But if if this Court is, in its past takings cases, when it's been presented with a regulation that applies to a discrete property interest, it hasn't said, well, let's redefine the affected property interest to that. It didn't do it in Penn Central. It didn't do it in Keystone Bituminous. And it didn't do it in the construction laborer's case. The way the property was held by the the, uh, petitioners in this case is fee simple. And this regulation applied to fee simple property did not affect the value uh, anywhere near the extent that the regulation no, in Lucas just, did. Just
3: to make it clear, in my hypothetical, I know it didn't happen, but in my hypothetical, no recovery because?
9: No, I, I'm not sure it's no recovery, but I am sure that it's still evaluated under Penn Central.
6: But Mr. Roberts, if you evaluated under Penn Central, would it be legitimate to evaluate it this way? I've assumed it would be, but I may be wrong. Assume that the leasehold is not physically taken so that the government doesn't substitute itself for the, for the, for the trailer owner and use the property. Uh, it's, it's strictly a prohibition on use. I assume that under Penn Central, uh, the, the lessee would have his claim against the lessor because the lessor was not delivering. The lessor uh, would not have a, a claim for, for a permanent deprivation here because there, had, with respect to the lessor, there would only be the temporary taking. Well, so the, 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 the lessee would probably come out okay against a different uh, uh, party. The lessor would be in the same position that the lessor would be in if there had never been a lease. Is that the way it would work? Well,
9: presumably the impact of regulation would be something that would be addressed in the in the lease agreement itself. Yeah. I mean, if they're leasing it to to build a mobile home, it turns out they can't. And who bears the responsibility for that? Again, a matter between the lessor and and the lessee. But the important point is that the the. What the petitioners are arguing for is an extension of the Lucas Rule, which applied in a, as the Court said, the rare circumstance in which all economic use uh, is prohibited. And the Court emphasized in Lucas that that had the consequence of rendering the property valueless. This is how the Court phrased the question presented in Lucas, whether the act's dramatic effect on the economic value of Lucas's lot accomplished a taking. Well, here there is no dramatic effect on the economic value of the affected lots, because we're talking about temporary regulation for a limited period.
2: In in light of what's happened, we know it's been 22 years, and presumably many of these properties will never be allowed to be developed. Is there no end in sight? Uh, Can we not look at it as a taking?
9: Uh, First, Your Honor, my understanding of the record is quite different from my brother's. If you look at the pretrial order, Exhibit A, pre-trial order filed July 17, 1998, it describes the situations with respect to each of the properties. Most of them have been sold long ago. Of those that are not sold, two-thirds have a score that makes them buildable under the 87 plan. Uh, So two-thirds of the petitioners who still own property can build on those lots, according to the record in this case. And that is just petitioners' allegations.
8: When you say sold, you mean at the bargain price that Mr. Berger referred to, sold to Sold to
9: typically to the government buyout agencies, I wouldn't say at a bargain
8: price. Sold
4: to the government agencies who will do with it just exactly what is achieved by the government's not taking possession of it. That is nothing. I, I find this distinction between, between whether the government takes possession of the land versus whether the government doesn't take possession of the land quite, quite unrealistic.
9: Well, it's you're talking
4: dist- about a government that wants to assure that the land lies fallow. The government achieves entirely what it wants by simply saying nobody shall do anything with the land. That, well, why, why should the government? Uh, that, that's not, of course, what we're
9: talking to. about here. What we're talking about is a time out for a limited period while the agency carries out its responsibility to determine what can be done. All right, so how it. does
5: he prove that? What, what about the one-third who could never build?
9: Well, what happens doesn't-
5: to them? What, what is your view of the correct thing he should have done? is a person who never is allowed to build and never can use the property at all simply out of luck? Well, the first they thing say should... is we're having a 10-year, uh, a, a 30-year uh, procedure of, of, of three-year moratoriums, uh, 10 at a time or something like that. How, how is it supposed to work, in your opinion?
9: Well, the first thing I'd say is you bring an as-applied claim, not a facial claim. The facial claim is the mere enactment of this temporary moratorium affected a taking. Well, then don't talk to me about what happened 15 years later, if the mere enactment of the temporary moratorium is your complaint. That's a different case. And he brought that case, and it was thrown out because it was too late. There were challenges brought to the 84 plan. There were challenges brought to the 87 plan. Those challenges failed. And now the effort is to link those challenges up to what's left, the little uh, tail on the dog of this temporary moratorium that started the process. Uh, How how does an
4: as-applied challenge go? What what if you – if you uh – Make an as applied challenge. What, what would you, what would you have to prove? Would you have to prove that any intelligent agency could make up its mind and, you know, either fish or cut bait within a year? So if both. the
9: as as applied challenge is to the temporary moratorium, yes. Well, you go through the Penn Central factors, and if it's taken too long, that's certainly something pertinent on the character of the government action. That's what other courts. No, are no, but it,
4: to. it goes beyond Penn Central. If you're no, if it is no longer an honest moratorium to decide what you're what you're going to do with the land, then you're out of Penn Central. Then it's just a taking. You're 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 kidding us. You only need a year to decide what you want to do. You've you've imposed a moratorium for five years. Why should I have to go through Penn Central well, for those years is just is, is just prohibiting me from using my land with no other governmental purpose in mind except the prohibition.
9: And that's one of the things that they would have to show. Here, of course, the District Court found that the uh, planning a- a- effort was undertaken as speedily as possible. But you uh,
4: acknowledge that, that that if — In an as-applied challenge, there's a showing that the agency does not need three years or five years or whatever, that the thing could reasonably have been done in one year. Everything beyond the one year is then a taking.
9: No, you have to go through the other factors. This is not a per se analysis. The the other factors include the impact on the property. You're claiming a taking. What was the effect on your property?
0: Well, well, what what if, let's take a hypothesis where the moratorium is 10 years. Now, you still go through this thing that you're talking about? You, not, it, it cannot be long enough ever to be a per se taking?
9: Well, even the, the Court of Appeals recognized that if the moratorium is long enough so that the present value of the uses that might be allowed is de minimis, then perhaps the categorical rule would apply. And 10 years seems like it's going to be too long for the government to figure out and carry out its responsibilities in planning. But I wouldn't say that we try to find a point in time at which suddenly we shift from the accepted Penn Central analysis to the Lucas well, se, but yet office. you
0: agree that shift has to take place somewhere along the continuum.
9: Well, I guess what I'm saying is at some point calling something a temporary moratorium is a misuse of the label. If it's 30 years, that, that's, that's too long. Now, the best that Justice Holmes could do was say that when it goes too far, it becomes a taking. And I may not be able to do much better. But the Penn Central factors allow consideration of things like what is the need for it. The need may not be sufficiently compelling to justify a moratorium of two years, or the need may be sufficiently compelling to justify a longer moratorium. What was the impact on the property? Keep in mind the petitioners submitted no evidence of impact on value. We have no idea from the record what the impact of the temporary moratorium was other than the evidence that we submitted, which shows that properties were sold for significant amounts of value during the period of the temporary moratorium, which makes sense. A temporary ban on development doesn't render property valueless. If you have two parcels of property, one subject to a permanent ban on use, and the other subject to a temporary ban, it is true, as some of the Amiki say, the permanent ban can be made temporary and the temporary ban can be made permanent, but you're not going to pay the same price for both of those parcels of property. The one that's subject to the temporary ban is going to have a higher market value, reflecting the fact that future uses are available or will be available or not, depending upon the plan that's ultimately I suppose that
4: depends on how how much any prospective buyer uh, would believe that the temporary ban is really temporary. For tem- how much they believe that it's going to be strung out and extended, and, and if worse comes to worse and the government can't pick it up at, at bargain prices, it will pay compensation and, and, uh, to get rid of the land.
9: I- and that's like the petitioner's effort to link their lost challenges to the permanent land use plan to their challenge to the temporary moratorium. The District Court —
7: excuse me did you finish your answer i was just going to
9: say that the district court in this case specifically found that the agency acted in good faith throughout so the idea that the temporary moratorium to allow planning to take place was some kind of a sham for a permanent rolling well but it
2: also found there was a total deprivation of use for x amount of time
9: only looked at from that period only looked at for the 32 month period and our submission is that that's the improper way to carve up the property interest and say, oh, it's a total taking because we're going to only look at the property that was taken.
7: Mr. Roberts, in answer to one of Justice O'Connor's questions about a hypothetical fire damage case, Mr. Berger referred to the nuisance exception as possibly taking, taking the case out of the whole uh, takings area. At what point in what procedure would the possible availability of the nuisance defense arise or be considered with respect to polluting Lake Tahoe?
9: Well, we raised the claim before the Court of Appeals that one reason there was no taking, even if Lucas applied, was because of the nuisance exception. Um, The Court didn't find it necessary to reach that issue. I
8: I thought the District Court said there wasn't — that a nuisance hadn't been made out. The District Court said that.
9: That, That's right. Um, And we appealed that. Uh, And the uh, the Court of Appeals didn't find it. And what was your argument to the Court
0: of Appeals, that this was a nuisance exception?
9: That, given the impact on the lake of development, that it fell within the California and Nevada uh, uh, nuisance uh, requirements. That it all should be a park, kind of. Not that it should all be a park, but that further development would threaten serious and, in fact, irreparable harm uh, to the lake. Uh, that's the basis for the government action in this case that the petitioners have never challenged. But I want to emphasize in, in concluding that it is important to remember that the issue is not whether a total ban on use for this period affects a taking. The issue is whether a temporary moratorium from August of 81 to April of 84 for the purpose of carrying out the responsibility of undertaking planning with respect to the, these lots is on its face, with respect to every lot that it applied to, a per se taking, without regard to the reason.
5: Phrased that way. It's quite clearly in your favor. But I think they're seeing this as a group of landowners, thinking from the beginning, whatever the justification for this, and the justification is excellent, saving Lake Tahoe, it's going to end up that we won't be able to use our land for anything. And we've been able to tell you that from day one. So we brought a case right off the bat, because we knew that was going to happen. And then year after year went by where people told us, maybe you'll be able to build, maybe you won't, which really wasn't so. We knew we wouldn't. And then it ended up that we couldn't. All right. Now, what are we supposed to say to them? Aren't they supposed to have some remedy at law? And, and that's, I think, what's why he wanted to hear all his ca- questions, not just one. And, and uh, uh, there is that lurking in this case, and I'm not totally sure how to deal with
9: it. Well, first of all, they waited until the 84 plan took effect to file their lawsuit. Uh, that suggests to me their gripe was with the permanent plan, not so much the temporary moratorium. Second of all, the supposition in your question makes this not a facial challenge. In other words, it's not the mere enactment. It's because what we know what's really going on here. That's an as-applied challenge. That's not a facial challenge. So the landowners, in your case, should, as in fact some have, bring an as-applied challenge, saying, as applied to me, this is a taking.
4: So do you, you agree that a, a temporary moratorium that ripens into a permanent ban is a taking? I mean, you know, let's, let's assume that I sold, uh, I sold the property, uh, during the temporary moratorium, which later ripens into a total ban. No, they... And, and, and I, I claim that I should have been compensated for those three years okay. that I owned the property without any, inab- any ability to do it to it. Does that
9: I think the period in which the agency's justification is, we need a timeout to undertake planning so that we're not locking the barn door after the horse escapes, should be evaluated separately from the period in which the agency says, this is the land use plan, and if you've got a gripe with us, uh, you can challenge that. Those are two separate periods. The character of the government action is different in those two periods.
6: Okay. Let's assume uh, that they are analyzed separately. And it is found that for the, the period Justice Scalia is talking about, the government really was not acting in good faith. Uh, its plan, its, its intent right from that moment on, from the first day on, uh, was to ban uh, all development whatsoever. In that case, does he have a claim uh, for a complete taking during the three-year period?
9: Oh, certainly, yes. Okay. Uh, yes, but I, I don't think it's a facial claim because it depends on more than looking simply at the face of the ordinance.
6: So it's a, it's a question basically of good faith and intent and, and here the, understanding the, the what they're doing.
9: The district court petition appendix, page 69, said the agency acted in complete good faith and completed its responsibilities as, as quickly as could be expected. Thank you, Your Honor.
3: Well, I see a white uh, if, if the Court of Appeals opinion is just simply affirmed as is, weren't we wasting our time in First English?
9: Oh, no. First English didn't address the question of when a temporary regulation can become a taking. It said that if you have a temporary taking and it assumed arguendo that there was a taking for a temporary period, compensation is required. And we don't dispute that at all. Uh, y- yes,
3: but uh, as, uh, assume the Court of Appeals opinion is the law. Uh, First English wasn't. Uh, a, a taking that you're hopeful
9: well that 's what the California state courts determined on remand when they were addressed with
3: them. no no just, just just talk about federal law you 're saying that first English could not have been a taking, so we were just wasting our time up here
9: Oh no, no, not at all. First English could have been a taking. Uh, it would have required an evaluation under again Penn Central and not, uh, not Lucas to determine whether the regulation at issue there, both the temporary and permanent and both were at issue at different points. In first English, constituted a taking. But once you assume that that was a taking and you assume the results of that analysis, then if it is a taking, compensation is required.
0: Thank you, Mr. Roberts. Thank you. Uh, Robert. General Olson, we'll hear from you.
10: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The colloquy so far today seems to me to illustrate the wisdom of Justice O'Connor's comment in her concurring opinion in the Palazzolo case last. Last uh, June that the court should avoid per se rules in the area of regulatory takings petitioners new per se rule of takings jurisprudence taken to its logical end, would make every freeze in the status quo, however brief during a permitting planning or rezoning process equivalent to a condemnation to use their words
0: i don 't understand atta- i don 't understand it that way, General Olson I thought mr Berger. Uh, s- separated out, or at least uh, certainly tried to separate out the normal zoning process, where you're working towards a permit, and a permit
10: is real, real, realistically possible at, at the end of the road. It seems to me that's a very difficult distinction for him to make, because it requires an analysis of the nature of the government's interest in each particular permitting process. We know that they can be short. We know that they can be long. We know that they can be comprehensive.
0: I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you can segregate, uh, at least to my satisfaction, the idea of a, uh, a zoning requirement in existence. You have to file for a permit and basically to show that you comply with the zoning requirements. In other words, if you're going to have zoning at all, a permit process is almost necessary, as opposed to a moratorium, which doesn't say, you know, look, we're going to look over
10: your application and decide whether you can build. It simply says, no, you can't build. Well, what we would submit is that that zoning permitting process is part of the background principles of land use and land regulation, just as temporary moratorium have always been, Um, that that when there's a rezoning process, a process referred to by this Court in the first English case, that process may have to come to a halt. The the purpose for the temporary moratorium here was to allow the agency to to develop a sensible plan, and as as Mr. Roberts has already noted by reference to the record, there's no no indication that it was not in good faith. The, The length of the period, 32 months, was held by the District Court to be a reasonable time to accomplish the objectives. The purpose for the plan, as, as acknowledged by the, by the petitioners themselves, is that the purpose for the plan was to prevent the degradation of the lake. And they indicated that a slowdown in, in their brief, they mentioned in their brief, that a slowdown in building permits was an appropriate governmental response to that measure. Now, in each instance, the question is going to be, how long did it take? Was it in good faith? What was the government up to here? The government was attempting to preserve the value that Mr. Berger's clients wanted. They themselves purchased their property and planned to build a home on it because of the pristine quality of the lake. They make the argument in their brief that it was being degraded, that something had to be done about it. A limit on development, they say, I think it's on page three of their brief, was was the logical um, uh, objective to solve um, approach to solve that particular problem. So, what Lake Tahoe, the regional board that we're dealing with here today, was doing was saying, "Wait a minute! Before we destroy the lake, let's stop. Let's have a process in which we evaluate how to solve the problem that every landowner around the lake, including the petitioners, want to have solved." Well, that's extraordinary. You you
4: you refer to what General Olson is just a traditional moratorium. I, I don't think this is a traditional moratorium at all. I I, I think it's quite extraordinary. Just say, uh, you know, a time out. Nobody does anything with his land. I, I, I just don't think that that's, that's the normal kind of moratorium. It's nobody, nobody does uh, anything beyond the limited use that we anticipate we will ultimately impose. It's very rare that you impose a complete prohibition of use because that's a condemnation. It, it may
10: be unusual, but it is not so rare. In fact, uh, page five of the of the of the petitioner's brief refers to the two, um, cases,
5: I recall,
10: that, that involve two, oh. two instances. And the first one that they refer to is they aid the preparation of a comprehensive plan by precluding developers from obtaining permits that conflict with the plan being drafted. That is precisely almost the same words that were used by the, by the legislature in connection with the compact that su- suggested that there ought to be a moratorium. This is the, uh, the compact itself, um, in, in the 1980 amendments. Uh, is specifically said that it was necessary temporarily to halt works of development in the region which might might otherwise absorb the entire capability of the region for further development or direct it out of harmony with the ultimate plan. Now, if there is some challenge to the the good faith of what was going on here, that is not this case. Uh, If there's some challenge to what happened afterwards, I think the questions that Justice Stevens asked point out that Well, if there if was something that was done improperly to take these people's property with respect to what happened afterwards or how far it went or how it affected a particular property owner, that is the Penn Central test. Now, for tactical reasons, the property owners in this case decided not to pursue a Penn Central case. We heard here today that because it would be too expensive and too complicated for any individual property owner to bring that case, well, that is going to be the case Every time anybody challenges government action as a taking of a piece of property, these property owners decided to pool their interests and decide not to show the, what, what the government's interest was, the degree of invasion of the individual property rights, how much it hurt, whether or not it was in good faith and so forth. So they eschewed tactically all of those considerations. Now, instead. For some reason, because they couldn't use their property at all. At all. They couldn't use their property at all as far as this case is concerned and the question presented in this case for a limited period of time while well, the government agency was acting to address the problem that they acknowledged because they acknowledged that continued development along the lines that it was occurring at the time this moratorium was adopted was degrading the lake and destroying their property.
4: It's fine and that's a general social problem for which the entire society should pay. If indeed you do need that time to figure out what to do with the lake, why should some individuals bear the burden of that necessary uh, pause to consider
10: what to do? It's, it, it's I submit as the teaching of this Court that not every delay, not every intrusion on the use of property, not every incursion on property rights constitutes a taking under the Fifth Amendment.
4: understand that, but these aren't the only people who are using Lake Tahoe. They're preserving Lake Tahoe for all of the citizens of that state and for citizens of other states, for that matter. Well, Justice, and yet they're saying, since we need time to think about this, we are preventing... Total, total, all the use of, of of your land for three years. Well, I, I don't see that it, it seems to me fair that that these people should bear the whole brunt of of
10: of the well, They haven't established that they have bore the whole brunt. They haven't established the degree to which their pro- individual property rights were violated, um, or the the extent of their intrusion. They haven't done all of the things that this court. has certainly established. A common
0: situation. That is, every one of them, presumably, was prevented from using the property for three years.
10: Because if, if the use of that property, as they acknowledge, would have destroyed the very property rights that they were, they're here seeking to vindicate. And what we're saying is that in many different situations, the government might have lots of reasons, local governments, state governments, federal governments, to cause a pause in the development. Now, what? what, what I, I agree with that, and that's what that, worries. That's right. That's exactly and, and, what worries. And that's why this court, in the Penn Central case, gave an opportunity to use a reasoned decision making to solve the problem, to find out how far is too far. To ask that very question, that Justice Holmes did, is to is to entertain the answer. We need to know how, to, in order to determine how far is too far. This court has said repeatedly, we need to look at the circumstances. What the rule that petitioners are proposing interdicts that judicial fact-finding reason decision-making process. What it also does is is cause the permitting agency, the Lake Tahoe Regional Planning Board, to try this, to do this on a permit-by-permit, quasi-adjudicative process, as opposed to what they did do, as instructed by Congress, a legislative process in which things would stop, reason decision making would take place. Well, but
0: no, no one is challenging their authority in the sense of acting for the government. But the fact that they were instructed to do it by Congress doesn't make it any more or any less of a taking.
10: Well, I understand that, Mr. Chief Justice, but what I'm saying is that the, the government agencies that looked at this problem decided that it had to be t- t- um, solved in a global way. This was government acting the way we wanted to act. Uh, you know, legislative process with transparency to look at the whole problem, and if there has been a taking because it was too long or too much of an intrusion, there is a remedy under the under the Fifth Amendment, and it's described how you get to that remedy. It's described in this court's jurisprudence in the Penn Central case. The petitioners here sought not to pursue pursue that remedy.
3: May
7: I ask, do you understand your opponent to be arguing that a curfew would be a taking?
10: A taking, well, a curfew uh, with Ed, res-
7: I remember in, in Honolulu during the war, you couldn't go out after certain hours of the night. And so the property was totally
10: useless from when the, when the, when the curfew. Would that be a taking? A- I, I, I think that um, they're arguing that any momentary suspension of the use of property would be a taking. So it would it's be.
0: 13th Amendment. Mr. Berger, you have four minutes remaining.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. Let me touch briefly on a couple of things, if I might. First, uh, General Olson talked about this Court's uh, cases that generally have, have built on the question of we can't tell how far the regulation goes until we know how far they went. Well, that's true. And in this case, we know precisely how far they went. They totally prohibited the use of all of the property owners who are here in front of this Court. And it's that question that we're here to answer when we know how far they went. We don't need to get into any detailed, factual investigation of other circumstances. Uh, Justice Kennedy asked about the the first English case and whether the Court wasted its time there if the Ninth Circuit's opinion in this case is simply affirmed, and uh, I would have to conclude that that is indeed what happened. The clear message of merely affirming what the Ninth Circuit did in this case would be to tell all the lower courts that they need pay no attention to First English because this court laid out a lot of clear messages in the First English decision uh, that the Ninth Circuit paid no attention to. And but it
8: also said, We merely hold, this is from First English, stating the holding, we merely hold that where the government's activities have already worked a taking of all use of property, no subsequent action by the government can relieve it of the duty to provide compensation for the period during which the taking was effective.
1: Absolutely, Justice Ginsburg. That is true. And — but what the Court said in First English was that they were limiting — you were limiting the case to what you called the facts presented in that case. And the facts presented in that case were a temporary moratorium for about the same length of time as the one that we're dealing with here, which froze all use of that property and in fact, in my belief, had a better justification for it, because it had a health and safety justification, which this one doesn't. As you, Justice Ginsburg, pointed out, the trial court uh, examined at great length the question of whether uh, these people were creating a nuisance and concluded that there was no nuisance created here. As much as he was concerned about the fact that continued development around Lake Tahoe might change the color of the lake, there was no health problem with changing the color of the lake. There was no safety problem with changing the color of the lake. Uh, we would all be the poorer, That's, I think.
8: That question was not resolved on, uh, on appeal.
1: That's correct. The Court of Appeals did not deal with that question. Uh, only the district court did. And its analysis is there for you to look at uh, The the 1980 compact amendments that the two legislatures and Congress went through uh, are interesting in this case, because while they, in fact, said that there was a need for a moratorium, but the moratorium that the legislatures and Congress agreed to was not the one that TRPA enacted here. They said what we need is a cap on the number of building permits that are issued, and that's in the record here, too. And they said we're going to limit the number of building permits that each city and county can issue, to the number that they issued in 1978. The first thing that TRPA did after that was enacted was to say, we need to rearrange that. And we're going to say, you can issue those permits, but you can't issue any of them to these people. These people are totally frozen out. And they're being frozen out as part of a major public project so that we can clarify the waters in Lake Tahoe. And it just seems to us that where you have these people, who are being asked to make this sacrifice on behalf of the greater public good, either of the people who already own homes around Lake Tahoe and whose land therefore gets more valuable, or on behalf of the rest of us who don't own homes up there but who might like to vacation there so that we can also enjoy the beauties of Lake Tahoe, that those people shouldn't be left flapping in the breeze with no compensation for the fact that they're the ones that have been asked to pay for this project.
0: Thank you, Mr. Berger. The case is submitted.
2: The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.